customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's, a rare in-person recording of myself and Bruce Feldman uh, as how I'm here set, in LA. How much are you setting the company back by putting in this fancy penthouse suite you've got here, Stu, in Southern California? The one where I can hear the airplanes flying over as they land at LAX. Uh, it's convenient, though. I mean, we watched the national championship game the other night and it was like a five-minute drive from here over to your place. and. Not too far from USC and UCLA when the if the traffic cooperates. So it's spring football time. And the crazy thing is, you know, I've always found spring to be the best time to go visit and get time with people. They're relaxed. Um, but this is the first time I've been able to do it in three years because 2020, everything shut down. And in 2021, I think, I don't know if we've been vaccinated yet. I just remember that wasn't an option. So, so yeah, glad to be back in FaceTime. Yeah, so we're going to touch on a few things. You and I have now both been out to USC. Um, you went out this week. I went out, I don't know if it was last week or two weeks ago now. You were at the first practice. Right? Yeah, so um, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about some big news in Power 5 football. Somebody we've known for, I don't know how many years you've known Bob Bowles. Probably 20 years. Uh, 20 years? No, but at least uh, at least a decade. Yeah, he was a prominent AD at Stanford and Iowa before the Big 12, and he um, he could probably write a heck of a book if he uh, if he decides. especially on the past year. Yeah, but I just think he knows a ton of stuff from from uh, all of his experiences in football. So we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, we'll get into some draft talk because the draft is coming up in just a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's get into, let's start with USC. Um, when was the last time you were around the Trojans? Um, the last time I was or around down the, here, I should say. Not well, I went to, a, I mean, games, I was at a game against Oregon, actually. Um, that would have been the 2019 season. Uh, but out of practice, I mean, maybe four years. Okay, so let's start with this. I think enough, this may be a little inside baseball, but enough people know... Um, it was always a national media stop when Pete Carroll was yep. had it rolling, and there was a unique feel to what USC was. 
practice, the whole practice was open. You would have lots of parents and occasionally sometimes celebrities, not just former players, um, would come around. And they had the same SID, Tim Tesselone, who's, who's a legend in that field for over 40 years there. And now, like the last five years, but especially the last three, the program was just in complete um, in the doldrums. Uh, you know, not all of Clay Halton's fault, but he was in limbo for so long. And I think a lot of stuff, you have a lot of change in leadership. Um, now Lincoln Riley is here. First impression for you walking out yeah. Howard Jones Field. Well, I've been to that field probably two dozen times, right? And so th that part's familiar. Nothing, everything else feels different uh, about that program. And, um, you know, I don't think I was out here the last few years, certainly, but in talk our buddy Ryan Abraham, who runs the 24-7 site. Who's out there every day. He's out there every day. Um, a couple other people I recognize. And it's like, I get the sense that covering that team the last couple of years was really awkward because everybody knew for, for years, right, that Clay Helton was kind of a dead man walking, and yet you still got to go to his scrum every day and listen to him talk about all the improvements they're making and so on and so forth. And, you know, now it feels real. And Malcolm Epps, the uh, tight end from, he used to be at Texas for a few years. I feel like he's been in college football forever. Uh, he was one of the players that was available to all the media afterward. And they were asking him um, something like, you know, do you have a sense of, of how much the tight ends will be part of the passing game under Lincoln Riley? And he was just like, we don't care about that. He's the GOAT. Like, he's Lincoln Riley. Like, if he tells us we have to block the whole game, we'll block the whole game, you know? But he said, like, or I should say, though, he said, like, that's something we would have cared about last year. We don't care about that now. There's a lot of deference to him, a lot of, you know, he obviously brings a lot of respect. And then you look around the practice field, and it's like, uh, Tim is there still. Tim Teslin's still kind of hanging around. He referred to it as, like, an all-star team. It's not. If it were an all-star team, it would be, you know, the best of the best. It's not quite that, but, like, oh, there's Caleb Williams. There's Travis Dye who I recognize, obviously, from Oregon. Um, you know, they've got a couple guys from Colorado. Uh, Mario Williams, the receiver from Oklahoma. It's like there's just a lot of new faces out there. And, in fact, it kind of feels like they imported Oklahoma. <laughs> the, it's not just... It's basically half the staff. It's it's the, half the staff. It's it's a bunch of guys on both sides of the ball. It's the strength coach as well, Benny Wiley. So it's the you football have, ops guy. Yeah, so there's uh, a lot. There's yeah. a couple of players, as you said, Mario Williams, the receiver who's originally from Tampa, you know, came with them as obviously Caleb Williams did. Uh, one of the Colorado guys who I think they're very excited about is Jerry Rice's son, mm -hmm. Brendan, who's a bigger receiver who had his moments at CU. Um, they obviously had QB issues in Boulder. Um, I think that. You know, this should, you know, to me, as bad as USC was, and they were epically bad last year. They were four and eight. I mean, I, I can't, you know, think of them without thinking of them getting beaten by UCLA by 30, and it could have been worse. Um, and as bad as they were, they had one great player. You know, they had a guy who I think will be a top 10 pick in Drake London. Um, they don't have him anymore. I was curious, you know, this is, you know, no matter how many more transfers they bring in, like this to me, this is the issue when sometimes when Caleb Williams made the uh, you know kind of the inevitable uh, real when he announced he was coming. He insists it wasn't inevitable. Both he and Lincoln Riley had talked to him yesterday. Both insist like it was a it was a real recruiting battle. Take that for what it's worth. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'd been really surprised if he was in Madison. I'd be equally surprised if he ended up in Westwood. Um, but anyway, beyond that, like they just do not. 
you know, they just do not have enough guys on defense right no. now. I don't think people, unfortunately, and, you know, I, we've talked about this in passing a few times earlier, you know, like, you know, Ari's uh, code words of stars matter. When USC, it really didn't because USC had a lot of guys, if you looked at the recruiting rankings, were highly rated guys. They they were misevaluated. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a handful of those guys are still there. But... I think that, you know, you were just basically starting from scratch. And I think, you know, for me, and I did Coward's show yesterday. He's obviously the biggest USC fan in the country. He was like, he was like, what do you think is realistic? And I was like, a realistic goal to me is nine wins. Yeah. The Pac-12 is not very good, as we know. Um, but they're still in the same division with two teams that are more physical than them. Utah is definitely more physical than them, and UCLA is more physical than them. So do they have a puncher's chance now with a more dynamic offense? Yeah, I think they will. And I think they're going to have something they haven't had in a long time. And I don't even know when, I'm about to use a word that, I don't know when they had it, which was identity. Because I felt like they never had one under Clay Helton. Sark was, was, was tenure was such a... It's um, very short. It was short. It was mercurial. You know, you had Ogeron's, you know, half a year where there was excitement, but he was an interim. And then before that, you had Lane where he came in and he came in and the sanctions were coming right away. He did have some players he inherited, but it's been so long. I think they will get an identity. I'm, you know, it's interesting. I think I had this conversation with a friend of mine who works at another company about, you know, the expectations real versus perceived about Lincoln. And I think one of the things that's going to be interesting is I think if you ask a lot of Oklahoma people, maybe it's our groups or not, they will like, they will maybe poo-poo the kind of recruiting because they were like, you know, we did not have enough players. Yeah, there was good players on the offensive side of the ball, but we did not recruit at a high enough level to be a real national title team. And to me, I think that's going to be the biggest, you know, because for as great as Matt and Reggie were and Mike Williams and a bunch of other offensive guys, they had real nasty players on defense, and that's the that's the one thing. I don't know how quickly they can get that. Well, there's a new dimension to recruiting now, and that's NIL. And I think it's easy for us to sit here and say, "Oh, he'll be able to recruit." You know, he'll get his choice of players. He'll he'll be able to recruit all Southern California, et cetera. But what we're seeing is the schools that have these NIL collectives who can kind of sweeten the pot for recruits are at an advantage right now. USC does not have one of those. Now, USC has boosters war, for USC sure. has a war chest, though. Yeah, they've got... Well, but USC themselves can't just hand the money over. They need they need third parties to do it. And uh, it's all... You know, there's no rules. It's all wild, wild west. But they're going to have to... To get the five stars, they're going to have to get into that game. Of well, they're, they, making, they've you know, gotten the five stars before. I think it's to get really... To, I, to me, the bigger issue is to identify really good players who... Like some of the guys Pete Carroll got... They may not have been five-star guys. They were just really, really good players yeah. that they identified. I don't think it's like USC's gotten five stars. I mean, Corey Foreman was supposedly the number one ranked recruit in the country. He did nothing last year. You know, you had guys in the secondary who did nothing for them. So it's, you know, even, um, God, I'm already, but EA Naoteote was a five-star. You know, he didn't play like it, you know. And so... I think it's more than just that. I think it's like, and this is the part where it's just maybe a side conversation for another day about like, you know, the collectives are going to chase five-star guys. Are they going to chase, you know, a cliche, whether it's Chris Peterson or Brian Kelly, whoever wants to use this term, are they going to chase the right guys? 
I don't know. Uh, it's it's the wild, wild west right now. I think one interesting thing, though, again, in talking about how college football has changed, is the extent to which he is trying to turn over the roster in one offseason. If they, and he has been very public about after spring football, they're going to take another dozen or so yeah. transfers. They're going to, their plan is to get to 38. They're going to bring in 38 new players this year. And you say, wait a minute, how can you possibly, that doesn't seem right. You can only sign 25. Well, it's 25. Plus, you can back count six uh, early enrollee spots from last year. And then, at least this year, I don't know if it's going to be permanent, you can replace up to seven transfers. You know, it's interesting that you said the number. It's actually not. Last year, there was a team that won a conference title with more newcomers than that. And the only reason I know this is because I did the Mountain West title game. Utah State had 44 newcomers. 44. 44. I'd love to and, see the math on that one. And they went from being, you know, dreadful under your guy, Gary Anderson, <laughs> to winning a Mountain West title. Um, and some of it, you know, it's interesting. I never thought of it till I'm sitting in your posh hotel room. But, you know, there were Blake Anderson took guys from Arkansas State, took some really good players, and um, brought them with them there. They obviously took a bunch of other transfers, and it worked. Um, now it's not the Mountain West, you know, but it, we'll see what is. Uh, we'll it's going to make it impossible. This this you know new transfer portal era is going to make it impossible for us to do predictions because how can you possibly predict how a team's going to do that just turned over forty to fifty percent of its roster? You know, four. I think it's going to be like forty guys out, thirty eight in, um, and they're not even hiding the fact like they're running off some guys. There's guys they just don't want on the team anymore. So I mean, it used to be, and I'm not talking long ago where schools would try to quote medical players which meant you'd still honor the scholarship but they couldn't play physically play and there might be a reason maybe there was some kind of injury that they were going to have some doctor you know and and it wasn't all bogus but I think some of it was that and um, you know I think of the running guys off um, stuff when it was back in the SEC days and I remember that was like a big big oversigning was a big uh, yeah yeah, well, so here's the secret sauce, though. And I had never heard of this until yesterday, but they showed me the bylaw. You, can, A new coach, specifically a new coach, can remove players from the team and not have it count against them if they honor their scholarship. I had never heard that. Had you? Uh, I was not clear that the language that was that direct. Because then, are you running guys off if you're going to keep them in school and pay for their education? Well, not only do you have to pay for their education, they have to continue to receive all of the benefits they would have received on the football team. Now, that would get very expensive if 17 guys all took them up on that offer. But these are players who are good enough to come to USC, so presumably they'll go in the transfer portal. You know, it would be interesting, and I don't don't want to be careful how I word this, but like if you're at Stanford, where you're at a place where, you know, yeah, pretty much everybody's going there because it is a Stanford degree. And I'm not saying nobody go, no football player goes to USC for a USC degree, but like, would there be guys, and I'm not saying David Shaw would do this necessarily, but like, if there was a transition and say, all right, you know what, my, you know, I have to graduate from here as opposed to I'm, I want to go play and then I'm going to take my chances else. Maybe they would wait to graduate. Yeah. And then, and this is, look, there could be plenty of, plenty of kids. USC is a, is, a, is a hefty degree, especially in Southern California. And if you say, all right, I'm going to stay here. Um, the interesting part to me is like, let's say you are, and USC has quarterback issues right now in terms of they only have two scholarship guys, only Miller Moss is behind them. 
But if there was somebody with even a receiver and say, you know what, I want to learn this offense, but the problem is you can't be out there. Like you can stay in school, but then at least how, how I'm understanding this is you can't really be part of the football program. No, you're not. You're not at practice. So, so you can't even like, you know, it's like that's the tricky part of this. Well, one thing it taught me is whenever whenever people report on guys entering the portal, I think it's always assumed that they chose to enter the portal. This tells me there's probably a lot of guys in there, especially to keep an eye out when there's a coaching change and a bunch of guys are in the portal. They might not have, that might have not been their own call, you know. Now, is that that different than... I'm surprised, you know, usually, usually some of the stuff will show up in social media and people will be, there'll be a level of outrage. Oh, you know, this is my dream school. They were committed to me. And then all of a sudden a coaching change and I don't fit the system. And I'm not saying this is what's going on with Lincoln Riley, but it's like, you know, they're certainly different coaches have different interests and different, and, uh, you know, they want those scholarships. Maybe there's, maybe they know stuff about players. Maybe they don't. I mean, I think, you know, I mean, for years, right. This is just a more formal way of what would have always happened, which is, you know, let's, let's just use Alabama as an example. End of spring, you sit down, the coach sits down with all 85, tells them where they stand, and, the, and Nick Saban would probably say, I don't, I don't see you playing here. You know, like, you're, you're, you know, it's not working out here. You would, pr- it would probably be in your best interest to go find somewhere else. The, the, like, nudge, nudge. The, what, what I'm curious about, again, and this is a bigger picture beyond USC, but, like, a lot of times those guys are list guys. They're guys who either become pains in the ass for the staff because either they're late to stuff, maybe they've had, you know, positive pot tests or whatever, or... If it's that, though, you can remove their scholarship. If Okay, but so if you're late... Not if you're late. If, if you're, you're a drug test, guy, anything disciplinary, yeah. But no, but disciplinary can fit into you're late to workouts, your mistreatments. Yeah. You, you, do, you didn't, like... You know, they, they chart everything. So if you missed, you didn't go to lunch, you didn't go to breakfast, you didn't, you know, like, then they then they don't have to give you your scholarship then? Well, it's very clear in the NCAA language that you cannot remove a guy's scholarship for performance on the field, okay? Although this new, this one new coach rule appears <laughs> to contradict that. Um, but but, so if, but you can you can find other ways. So, so let's say it comes to this, because I, you know, now we're going down a rabbit hole on this, but... If, because I know there are coaches who get pissed off and you're on a list if you miss training table or if you miss mm-hmm. a workout or you're late to a treatment. Like what, and you're not a lawyer and you're not, you know, the person. I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, know. if you miss three, if you miss three treatments, if you're late to like study halls, can they just basically pull your scholarship? Can't they kick, well, I mean, couldn't they kick somebody off the team for that? Forget scholarship or not scholarship. Like you, you're not upholding the standards you're you're kicked off the team yeah i guess the area is like what is like what is deemed like ridiculously excessive i think the reason i get what you said about i'm surprised there aren't more guys you know going on social media i think because it's not in anybody's best interest to advertise that right so i think even in a situation like that the coaches are going to try to not throw them under the bus on the way out so that to not like jeopardize them getting a new spot. Um, well, and the you player's also, certainly not going to advertise that he missed meetings. You also run into an area where if it's a player from a program that you still want to recruit, you got to be careful. You know? Yeah. Like, and I'm not saying this is going on at USC, but let's say it's a player, a modern day, a modern day prospect or, you know, former player. You know, I'm not sure that's a school you want to have any 
potential snag with. Transfer portal was the hot topic at both places I went to. Um, you know, at UCLA for Chip. Um, well, for, first of all, USC, I mean, Lincoln Riley says, like, this is a one-time thing. You know, we're going to be recruiting high school players and building classes. This is a one, we have to, re, you know, basically turn over a 4-8 and eight roster. So that's why they're loading up on transfers this year. Uh, UCLA for Chip, who isn't necessarily recruiting at the level USC is, um, Transfer Portal has kind of become their lifeblood. Uh, they, I mean, they actually started out that way. His, you know, his first team had Wilton Spate from Michigan. Yep. And a lot of people wouldn't have thought he didn't, and they he didn't fit what we thought a Chip Kelly quarterback would be. But in, in the essence, they were like really glad that they got him. And then you would see a bunch of guys that they had taken over the years. It's always it feels like it's a half dozen. You know, or so. half dozen in there, and he seems to have a, a good hit rate on it. Like Zach Charbonnet yeah. was the breakout running back in the in the Pac-12 last year. Um, he's back. Dor- Dorian Thompson Robinson's back. Um, now they lost again transfer portal. Right, Quantrez Knight was arguably their best defensive player the last couple. And years. he was a two-time transfer guy. You know, so so in comes the next wave. Like they need more receivers. They got this guy Jake Bobo from Duke. Not a household name by any means, but pretty productive at Duke. No, and I think he has a he has a connect. Like they also have a big defensive tackle they got from Duke, and I know he's close to David Cutcliffe, one of his assistants. Um, Jeff Ferris was on the Duke staff, so I think they feel like they have really good intel on what they're getting from Duke guys. And you know, Britton Brown was a really good running back for them. Was another Duke guy. What's interesting to me about their philosophy is. A lot of the guys are taken, not all of them, but mo- many of those guys are coming from high academic programs. Charbonnet was Michigan. Ebo yep. was a cornerback from Stanford. Not a coincidence. Yeah. Um, and so I think if you know his recruiting philosophy and his approach to evaluation, it's like, I want guys who can learn my system. I want guys who I know are really accountable. And I think you start to hear some of that about uh, from other coaches too. You know, so we t- I talked to Chip about his that approach and that philosophy for a while. And first of all, you're right; like they love guys from high academic places. Um, and he loves that. You know, look at the end of the day, high school recruiting is kind of a guessing game. He brought up the example of Marcus Mariota, who didn't start until his senior year of high school, and who the only reason they even knew who he was was Mark Helfrich was there in Hawaii recruiting, and saw saw him in a practice or a, a camp. I forget which one. Like, there was no tape of Marcus Mariota. So they offered him. They had no idea he would turn into a Heisman winner. And I'm sure they have plenty of stories of reverse uh, where the guy didn't work out. But with these college guys, he again, like, you're right. He's like, I, it's great. I can call up David Cutcliffe. He'll tell me exactly what I need to know about this guy. Um, forget the other example. He's where somebody where you know, somebody else on the staff knew the coach at that. He's like, it's pretty rare we, we, that it's not somebody where – Somebody in our staff has a direct connection. They took these twins from yeah, North, North Texas. Texas, the defensive linemen. They were really productive last year. I think they combined for 15 or 18 sacks and had a, like 30 tackles for loss. And I think he looked like, hey, you know, we're losing a transfer here. He's going to go to Miami. We're going to bring in two players we know are really good that will help us. By the way, one thing that works in UCLA's advantage, actually, they're one of the rare schools Although it's a little more common out here that are on the quarter system. Yeah, so they can have fit them in at different Yeah, places. so they had like seven guys who enrolled last week, you know, and started started class after spring break. Um, whereas I remember <laughs> Caleb Williams watch, everybody was like, if he doesn't if he doesn't if he doesn't enroll somewhere by January, whatever it was, fifteenth, I don't remember what twentieth, yeah. you know, it's too late till till next semester. So um, I'm interested in seeing I mean I think they UCLA could be really good on offense with 
uh, Dorian, who's this you know fifth year, big time, excellent leader, um, has been through everything. And Zach Charbonnet has a chance to be one of the best running backs in the country. Yeah. I have no idea if they'll be able to play defense. They, they That has been the... They were actually okay last yeah. year on defense. You look, they were in the you know, middle of the pack. They did lose a bunch of guys who played a lot. Um, I don't know. It's a different scheme now or a different system with McGovern coming in from the NFL. And uh, I'm interested to see how much of a difference or what kind of impact that you get from Ken Norton Jr. I mean, obviously, he was a legendary player at USC. And I think he brought a toughness, like when he was out at USC, that definitely Pete Carroll wanted. And I'm curious to see what that presence is kind of like. Um, you know, it's kind of unusual when you see, like, staffs necessarily that have like great great former players out there like they actually UCLA I didn't think of it when they had it but you have Deshaun Foster who's one of the mm-hmm. greatest running backs I've ever had who's the running back coach and Ken Norton who's one of the greatest defensive players I've ever had who's now the linebacker coach you know like on both sides of the ball I'm not saying any of the players remember them as you know players I'm, I don't know how many of our listeners would remember them as players but I just think there is some kind of a connection there that might be a might be an interesting dynamic for them one last uh, Caleb Williams thing I meant to mention, and then we'll move on to the next topic. You know, this is my first time around him. He didn't talk to the media at all, obviously, last year at Oklahoma because of Lincoln Riley's rule. We talked about this last night. Like, you would not guess he's a year out of high school. He kind of, his his demeanor, the way he speaks, the confidence, he like, you're like, oh, this guy's a sen- 22. This, yeah, this he, guy's a college he, senior. He definitely comes across like he's a 22 or 23 yeah. year old. And... You know, that's good because he's on a big stage um, and you know I don't know where the Good Morning America stuff fit in like it's, it's interesting because I think his one his first really time in the media was he did um, you know he did one of the po- big podcasts for the Oklahoma players and I remember like our colleague Jason our former colleague Jason Kersey mm-hmm. was like like those guys but also was like wow this is the first time anyone's getting to talk to him publicly and he talked the first day of practice, um, you know, it's, they, it's not like they're shielding him or anything. Well, like yeah, that. I mean, Kersey's off to law school now, so it's irrelevant. But if he was still the beat, Sooners beat writer, he would have texted me yesterday and taunted I just got 20 minutes. All the media just got like 20 minutes uninterrupted with Caleb Williams. Lincoln is actually, we'll see if this continues once he gets in the season. He is being, I think he, he seems to understand that it's L.A. You have to do a certain level of media access or like um, KTLA that, Whatever Phil, Phil was yeah. there yesterday practice filming. Like, if you don't let them, they're just going to go do the Lakers instead. You know, you well, got probably doing the Lakers anyway. Yeah, but you know, like you've got to compete for attention in this market. Whereas Oklahoma media is going to cover OU no matter. Yeah, no matter and it's what. the biggest story no matter what. Whereas here, it's the Dodgers. The Dodgers have been great for really good for a long time. The Lakers aren't good now, but they still have LeBron and Anthony Davis. Um, you know, you just have all. Yeah, back when Pete Carroll had it rolling. You did not have the Rams as a Super Bowl team. You right. didn't have any team. And you actually, you know, it's like, it's also, you have the Chargers. You have just a lot of, a lot of um, pull for people's attention. It's just, I mean, I can remember coming out to USC practices when Pete Carroll was there, and it seemed like there were 40 beat writers. I'm sure that's an exaggeration, but like yeah. it was just this, this huge horde of media at every practice. And, you know, they've been kind of irrelevant the last few years, so they got to try to earn that back. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. So you did, a, uh, I know how much work you did on the on the on your own mock draft for The Athletic, but you were coming at it from the perspective of uh, well, you, you know, you can explain the research you do for this. Yeah, so, you know, there's tons of draft analysts out there, and some are better than others, but I know they've put in the work. But, and there are obviously scouts who will talk on and off the record about stuff, or mostly off the record. But, um, but what I wanted to go to, and I've done this the last two years, was coaches have actually faced them. They've studied them on tape, then they played them in games. They have just a different perspective. And so, I mean, I spent the last month plus, maybe six weeks, talking to dozens and dozens of them. And so for a lot of times for a player, I may have talked to six coaches who face them. And so you will get a real unvarnished window into what they think of them. And it's fun. It's funny because like sometimes, you know, if the first two coaches you talk to are kind of like not as high on a player as maybe you think they would be or a lot of the draft analysts or certainly the people who covered the team were it's interesting because then you you know your story if i'm not saying i'm going to wait to get guys who start gushing about a player but it will be like oh you're just trashing this guy i'm like i'm not it's, it's these are the these are what these coaches think and they have real first-hand experience with the players as opposed to you know, maybe there's a there's somebody who does a mock draft who we're not sure how credible their football knowledge is to begin with, and they're just basing it entirely off of stats or numbers as opposed to, you know, how they fit and everything like that. So there was some definitely polarizing things, and the biggest one, I think, is that Kayvon Thibodeau, who's been a very hyped player since long before he got to Oregon, was at one point the number one recruit and had a very good career at Oregon in three years. Um, but there's, for people who think, oh, he should be the number one pick, as Kayvon has talked about himself, um, there's a lot of people, both in college coaching, but also in the NFL that I've talked to who are like, eh, I'm not sure I'm seeing that. you know. And the, the reasons are, for one, um, he isn't actually that big for a defensive end. He's 254 pounds. He has a he's a great first step, but he's not Miles Garrett. He's not Chase Young. He's not one of the Bosa brothers. He's not Jadavian Clowney in terms of 254 is not that big, right? And they wonder, is he maxed out? How much bigger will he get? Will he be 275 pounds? Probably not. And so you wonder about that. Then they come back to he disappears a lot in games. He plays in spurts. Yeah. Why is he not dominating some of these games? That that bothers some people. 
Um, and then it's like, I think if he's some of the stuff he said, because there's a couple of quotes in there that are kind of alarming for probably for football people about him, about his commitment to football and is football the most important thing or is just a part of who he is, which is fine. Except if you're a person who's an evaluator, you're like, I don't know if like if it comes down to one guy we know who's all about getting better. Another guy's talking about like these 18 other things he wants to do. They're going to be a little leery, especially when the other guy has a lot of film where he disappears or plays in spurts. Like it's like backing up that. So I had him going all the way down at number eight to the Falcons. I mean, it's possible he'll go higher. But I've I think seen people say it's possible he falls out of the top ten, which seemed absurd at the at the beginning of last season. Uh, it's well, first of all, it 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 shows you what a crapshoot the draft is. Is that Two, two, you know, football coaches who know the game cold can watch the same guy and come out with completely different opinions. And you have these two quotes back to back. He's a generational talent, freaky on film. He was the best defensive lineman in the Pac-12 since Vita Vea. I don't think he was consistent with effort. He didn't have much success early in our game, and he kind of shut it down. And then the next guy the, says... The last part of that, though, is, is a pretty is, big is pretty, indictment. Pretty, yeah. But the next guy is even more harsh and says, I don't see it, man. He's good. He's not great. He was a non-factor in so many games. He's an independent contractor. What does that mean, by the way? Independent contractor means he kind of comes in and he thinks it's all, you know, he's going to, he just cares about him, basically. Uh, I did get that vibe a little bit in his interviews. His first step is unbelievable. You just wonder how important is football to him. Um, yeah, I mean, look, my amateur eyes, I saw when I saw him play, uh, and when he was having those dominant spurts, it was like, oh my gosh, this guy's the next superstar. But yeah, then there were games where you barely noticed him. Uh, you know what was, was interesting juxtaposition to him? So we're obviously both on, both on the West Coast, but the one player of all the guys I talked to who's like got the most effusive for, uh, praise, and I'm not saying he was, like I would have made him the first pick in the, my draft, but Devin Lloyd, I talked to six guys, a linebacker at Utah. People could not stop raving about him because of he did so much there because they saw him get better every week because they say you know they just like i would be shocked even i had devin Lloyd going probably way higher than anybody else has him going um i think the like i did a, a radio show in las vegas last night with sean king the you know the musburger vs vsin mm -hmm. and um at one point they said you know it's 50 to 1 odds that he will be a top five pick and I think it was 21 and then you go at top You're 10. like, please. No, I, <laughs> I, I, I would, place this bet I, for I me. wasn't, you know, I'm not sure because some of it's fit where he, you know, where the need is. And I'm not saying he's going to be Michael Parsons. I think Michael Parsons is a generational athlete. But um, I, I think just based on what I've heard, I'd be very surprised. Like I think some of the earlier mock drafts, and this is still an early one. There's still three weeks. Or he's going to start to, there's going to be more buzz about how good he is. So quarterbacks, um, this is that time of year when like every other segment on SportsCenter or NFL Live is about which quarterback or Twitter. And the two that I feel like I've been hearing and seeing the most about are Desmond Ritter um, and, and Malik Willis. Those are the two names that, that if, if I didn't know better, I would think are like competing for the number one draft pick. Your highest quarterback is Kenny Pickett. And pretty high up at that, for that matter, at number six. I think it's some of the circumstance here. So with Kenny Pickett at six, it's where the Panthers pick. We know Matt Rule is on shaky footing now. He took, he, they experimented, or I don't know if you call it an experiment. They went all in on Sam Darnold, and Sam Darnold 
as great as he was at USC, has been a dud in the NFL. They need help now. Kenny Pickett, from everything I've heard from coaches, is probably the most ready to come into the NFL and be a competent quarterback. Played in the West Coast system. He continually got better. He's pretty athletic. Um, and he made some big-time throws in some, some games, and he elevated that team. As talented as Malik is, and he has the best arm in the draft, the strongest arm at least, I think there are concerns with how quickly can he transition to the NFL. He played in Hugh Freeze's RPO offense. He, he Honestly, and this I don't know if it's in this story, but it was in another piece I'd done about a month ago coming out of the Combine. He, you know, he didn't play at a high level. Right, he played. You know, he's at Liberty. They played a couple of games against ACC opponents two years ago, and he he definitely made some plays with his legs. He had some prop, like he had some three interception games, and so I think there's a consistency issue where it's like if you don't need him to play and lean on him right away to basically save the head coach's job, you know, he'd probably be a good pick. Desmond Ritter, I feel like people are all over the map on. Well, I was just gonna say. There are, you know, in, in I would say in the last week, I've seen two prominent draft analysts basically say like, if if this guy's not, this guy's going to be the next superstar NFL quarterback, if he's not, then the NFL team screwed him up. You got him going number thirty-two, which is not bad. He's in the first round. He's in the first round. He's at the end of the first round, and I'm more with you. I, and I I I loved watching Cincinnati the last couple of years. I, they were, they were a fantastic story, and he is a you know really good kid, fantastic leader. But I never felt like I was watching a, an elite quarterback with him. He was just, you know, he did what he needed to do in that offense. Sometimes he would extend plays because he was a good athlete. But it didn't feel like you were watching an elite passer. And yet I'm hearing people say he has the best arm in the draft and, and this and that. So why do you have him 32? Uh, the hesitation is accuracy. Mm-hmm. He got more. He, he got better on the deep ball over the last couple of years. But there are still concerns that at the end of the day, it's third and twelve. And can he say, like, NFL Open is much different than college Open, meaning NFL Open, you can smell the breath of the defensive back. College Open, you can stick like, you can drive a, a, a mini coop in between the DB and the, and the receiver. And you got to hit that spot. And I don't have, you know, based on what I've heard, based on what we've seen, that he can consistently do it. Um, I, I'd be a little hesitant. Now, like him going late in the first round, that's less of a gamble than him going six. Six is like you miss on that and, you know, you're getting fired. Yeah, that – I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I wouldn't do that because I, I don't – if he goes number six, then the expectation is he comes in and starts right away and is, and is you know, an NFL Rookie of the Year candidate, and I just can't see that with him. Maybe he develops into that, but it seems like he'll be a work in, in progress at the beginning. I'll ask you a question. So you've seen this mock draft. You've seen the 32 guys. Name me a player who's either on there who's much lower than you would have thought or much higher than you would have thought. Well, the lower than the, – the one that stood out immediately in terms of being uh, lower is Kyle Hamilton because there's been talk at times of him being the number one pick or the number two pick. Where do you have him? 11. Yeah. Part of the issue – and he was another one where the first two guys I talked to – we're like, yeah, I could see him as a first-round pick because he's got range. He's got, like, ideal NFL measurables. The part that they were concerned about is they don't think he is going to be that good in coverage. And if it's a quick receiver, he's gonna, he's gonna, he could be a liability. Now, the counter to that is in the NFL, he's probably only going to be covering tight ends. 
So now there are some tight ends who can really who are really athletic too. You know, good luck if he's covering Noah Fan, or good luck if he's covering the freak that came out of Florida last year. But uh, you know, I I could see him going as high as five to the Giants, but I think there is is he the next Sean Taylor as a talent? I don't know. I mean, he was a terrific player at Notre Dame. I think the the questions a little bit is. If you if he gets matched up in certain situations, is he is he really vulnerable? Yeah. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream Direct TV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on Direct TV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on Direct TV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. Direct TV has the most MLB games. Visit DirectTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. We got about five minutes before I have to book to the airport for my for my next stop. Uh, but you know, Bob Bowlesby stepping down didn't surprise me. If anything, I mean, I thought he might step down or be forced out after the OU Texas thing. Um, he stayed on, and and to his credit, I think really helped them stabilize by getting those new teams in when he did. But uh, you can tell he's ready to be done with it. I mean, we we saw him at the uh, at the national championship game when when the you know, he was so visibly beaten down weathered. and frustrated and weathered by those playoff discussions. Like, he, he's the one who called it Groundhog Day, sitting in those meetings hour after hour after hour and making no progress. And he, to him, you know, he was one of the co-authors of the of the four, of the 12-team proposal and, and sitting in those meetings where Jim Phillips and Kevin Warren are, are making, and, and Klyovkov, I guess, are making the same, you know, uh, filibuster if you will so um he's ready to be done he's ready to retire um how would you evaluate his tenure i would call it mixed well, um, almost all the tenures are going to be mixed right? probably i mean in the, he'll probably get unfairly maligned for ou texas i don't think it mattered who the commissioner was those schools were going to leave given you know that had, didn't have to do with the commissioner that had to do with just the reality of college sports and also the, the lot of the big 12 where you you're basically you know how it used to be the 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 big two and the rest of the big 10 this is probably predates penn state when they said it was michigan ohio state and then you know you had and that's not a, that's unfortunate to call iowa and wisconsin but that's kind of where they were uh, uh brand wise i would call it and i feel like to an even bigger degree that's what the big 12 is i mean if i asked you you know, and we talked about this a little bit the other day, but like, what is the third, you know, most established brand? I mean, you might say Oklahoma State because they've had, you know, they've had some great players, but they've obviously had sustained sustained success under Gundy. But at the same point, it's like the bargaining power they just don't have, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that is what Bowlesby was up against more than anything. Now it's even gotten more why. Um, the gap has become such a gulf because the SEC brand has rocketed in the last 10 years. So I think it was just that. It wouldn't have mattered who the commissioner was when the SEC reached out, those schools were going. Now, if you want to say, you know, the fundamental mistake he may have made actually was back in 2016 when they, when they seriously considered expansion at that time. And I know he wanted to do it. He if it were up to him, they would have been adding you know, some combo of Cincinnati, UCF, Houston back then. And then, but he was very deferential to the presidents. 
you know, every every conference there's a different dynamic. Like Jim, the, in the Big Ten, Jim Delaney was so respected for so long that if he told the presidents, "I think you should do this," they would do it. In the Big Twelve, like he can make his recommendation, but it's ultimately up to the presidents. And they decided to stay at ten. They were very, you know, for years the thinking was we'd rather split the money ten ways than twelve or ten ways than fourteen. And I thought that was a mistake at the time. Maybe it would have changed things. Maybe it wouldn't. But if you had gotten Cincinnati, for instance, in there in 2016, and they have a chance to build up their program in the Big 12. Maybe as you go to the TV marketplace now, the conference is more attractive. Maybe not. Maybe not. Um, our colleague Max Olson reported yesterday that they are hoping the Big 12 to get somebody in there within the next 90 days. Mm-hmm. Um, just get somebody named. Um, two questions for you. One, which job do you think has the more upside? to be the Pac-12 commissioner or to be the Big 12 commissioner right now? Um, that's a great question. Um, I think it's still the Pac-12 commissioner because they have a blue blood. That's right. Yeah, that's uh, they have USC. You want to throw Oregon and say they're like an almost blue blood? Those, those two are probably more uh, in demand for TV than anybody that's going to be the, the other Big thing 12. they have, and I don't know how well they can leverage this, they also have way bigger media markets. Yeah. Because um, you have the Los Angeles market. When you lose Texas, it's not to say you have you have um, Baylor and TCU. You still have DFW, but you don't have Texas. You know, it's like you don't have the the kind of the the big the big chip in that in that market. Also, as much as people complain about the late kickoffs, that's actually to their advantage in TV. They are the only ones that can give yeah, the ESPN or Fox that ten thirty Eastern window. So uh, uh, before you go, yeah. So to me, and I don't know if who's the next commissioner going to be. If I'm them, <laughs> I'm going after Oliver Luck too. Maybe. Why? Okay, I was gonna. Why does Oliver Luck's name come up for every job opening? He was. They thought he was gonna be the next Pac-12 commissioner. Because if you ask people thought, who've been around him and said, "Who do you think is the smartest administrator you've you've been around or you've dealt with in college athletics?" Oliver Luck might be the first name that I would say. Just if you've had conversations and you know how he thinks and you've heard his perspective, and he's a guy who was a highly successful player, he was in the NFL, he knows pro sports, he was in leadership roles, then he you know, he knows the NCAA piece because he worked in that there. He was a was a AD in what is that league now. I mean, he was the AD at, at, at West Virginia before they were in the Big 12, but still. Um, I just think he has a really unique pedigree, and he's also got really good people skills. A lot of times these guys, these people, don't. My counterpoint would be, I like Oliver Luck. I've met him. I've talked to him. He's very sharp. Everything you just said. But I feel like he's a little bit Teflon. Like, the XFL was a disaster. Um, West Virginia, uh, Alan Taylor just today has a story on our site about their lost decade. I'm not saying he could have necessarily single-handedly changed that, but... It's not like he got him into the Big Twelve, but it's not like they've that's yeah. been a wild success for them. So, but, but I they're not th- in the Big Twelve. I remember at one point I was at West Virginia working on a LSU versus West Virginia story when the Honey Badger was still there, and they that was the like it was a hot story internally about like will there be just some version of Conference USA that like yeah. is going to merge, and that obviously never came to fruition. The only thing I would say is don't. Don't pull a Big Ten and be like so anxious to be out, think outside the box and bring in some outside thinker like Kevin Warren. You know, given this, there's, this is not the time in college sports to have to come in and learn it. You know, we'll see about George Klyovkov. He seems to, he is at least a college sports fan and he seems to, 
grasp it right off the but he he too has a learning curve i mean between nil and this playoff debate and the tv deal the big 12 have coming up you need somebody who is already immersed in it and so whether that's a current big 12 ad shane lyons has been mentioned kirby hokut has kirby hokut the the most intriguing name on max's list was joe castiglione because like i think we would both agree a year ago yeah great choice but like he i think he's persona non grata in the big 12 now yeah, that, that is a wild card name, to say the least. No time for emails this week, but also, we didn't really get many. And I want to just put out a call for, send your emails to the at gmail.com. But I also want to give you a little, we never do this, but like, what kind of emails are we looking for? What kind of emails are, are good for podcast fodder? And the number one thing I would say, the ones we love the most, give us something that we can debate. You know, when people are like, who is the, uh, I'm trying to remember one recently, um, but, but you know what I mean, like stuff that leads to some sort of open discussion. Sometimes people email us like research questions <laughs> and like, you know, which isn't, which isn't I, bad, I, I, I can exactly look that up for you, but then that's, yeah. then we move on to the next question. So, um, think, think about it guys. Think about it for next week. Also, we got some spring games this weekend, Clemson in particular, people are going to be watching the QBs. So that'll give us some, some good material for next week. We'll see you next time. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.